A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome, everyone, to a brand new series of motorsport podcasts. Many of you will have listened to our Engineering Formula One driver series with the likes of Patrick Head, Adrian Newey, and Gordon Murray earlier this year. I'm delighted to bring you the next set of recordings. This time, we turn our attention to the Scuderia, the Formula One team that's so famous, it's simply referred to as the team. Founded in 1939 and a constant on the F1 grid since that first world championship, in 1950, Ferrari is the team that every driver wants to race for. 221 pole positions, 253 fastest laps, 238 Grand Prix victories, and let's not forget the 16 Formula One World Championships. For all its success and wonderful history though, Ferrari has always been a tricky place to work. Many drivers have left or been unceremoniously kicked out after little more than a season. What is Ferrari like to drive for? And what of Enzo himself? In this series of podcasts, we speak to the men who know best, those lucky few who have driven for Ferrari during their Formula One careers. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Motorsport Podcast. I'm Ed Foster, and we have a very special recording for you today as part of our Driving for Ferrari series. A very warm welcome to Felipe Massa. Felipe, thank you so much for joining us all the way from Brazil. Hi, Ed. Yes, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, uh, yes, I'm in Brazil, so I actually I'm here with the family, uh, especially in this little tricky situation uh, that's happening all around the world. So, uh, but I'm really happy, you know, to participate uh, and I just to have a nice chat with you to speak about something which is a big pleasure for me, which is Ferrari, uh, that I'm really uh, Ferrarista since a long time ago, so it's a big pleasure for me. Yeah, so I, before sort of we, we wind the clock back and kind of go back to your, your early career, what are, you, you know, what are your racing plans at the moment? Because I know you obviously, you stopped Formula E, but you've done a round of the Endurance Series in Brazil. Um, what's, you know, what's the plan at the moment? Yeah, so I, I decided to, to stop with Formula E. Uh, definitely, I really love the championship. It's a really nice championship to uh, to, to participate, a uh, big challenge, uh, racing the uh, nice places, uh, great tracks, uh, you know, even the tight and the challenge, you know, for all of the drivers. Uh, but, I mean, I think I decided to, to stop. I mean, I'm planning maybe to uh, go back to live in Brazil uh, with the family. And uh, so I did a few uh, endurance races uh, here in Brazil with the which is a race that they put some professional drivers, you know, together with some, uh, 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 you know, amateur drivers. And uh, I'm doing this, this race here, but uh, preparing to maybe go back to Brazil and uh, uh, looking forward maybe to racing stock car in Brazil. And uh, also having my time for other things as well, for business and, uh, and you know, and for my family. It's, it's, it's interesting that you're sort of, you're, you're going back to closed cockpit cars because, I wasn't your father raced touring cars in, you know, as an amateur in Brazil, didn't he? 
Yeah, my father started uh, to race in the touring cars, you know, a uh, long time ago, but just for fun, not uh, professionally, you know. And uh, I wanted to be uh, for sure a racing driver because of my father, you know. So I wanted, you know, to do the same as what he was doing. Definitely, I mean, I managed to be a professional and uh, racing also in the in the dream category, which is the Formula One, and also be successful there. Uh, but um, uh, actually... I was kind of uh, planning maybe to race in the uh, touring cars, but maybe end of my career, you know, just uh, uh, for sure professionally, but also for do, having some fun as well, you know, doing something that I really uh, enjoy, which is racing. And uh, and the time is passing, but uh, I think, you know, you can never stop doing what you love to do, which is racing. And that's why I'm planning to do that here in Brazil. Do you, I mean, you obviously, you, you had such a long career in Formula One, then you had a very steep learning curve going to Formula E, and uh, which is a very specialist cars. How have you found it, sort of going to a you know a GT3 car or you know or, or to these stock cars? What's the jump like when you spent so long in Formula One? Well, for sure, it's a different challenge, you know. So it's complete different cars, complete different behave. So you need to learn how to drive this uh, type of cars for sure, which maybe takes a little bit of time. Uh, but uh, it's the same in Formula E. Formula E is completely different than anything else that uh, that I drove before you know so it's definitely a massive challenge and you need to learn everything even uh, I think it's even a bigger change you know going from uh, like Formula One to Formula E instead of uh, going from like Formula One to touring cars you know because uh, I think the mentality of the touring cars even if it's completely different cars uh, completely different behave uh, the mentality of uh, the racing tracks the mentality of uh, uh, you know the uh, of of the category. You know is uh, is more similar, I would say, compared to Formula E, which is completely different. You know, so that's why I also decided to have this uh, new challenge as well. Now, am, am I right that you went to your father took you to practice at Interlagos Formula One practice in 1986 and seven? Was it around about that time that you watched? And that, that was your yeah. first taste of Formula One, wasn't it? And you, I, what, a, what a first taste to kind of Prost, Senna, PK, Mansell. You know, amazing to see all of them. Yeah, and it, actually on that time, I mean, we, we, we came to, to watch. Actually, it was like, it was not even the race. It was like the free practice and the qualifying. Uh, and we went to the track. I remember so well, we were in the grandstand. And uh, we went there to watch uh, Piquet. So Piquet was racing still. Maybe on that time for uh, Benetton or, or maybe uh, Williams, I think you know. So we were we were uh, there to to see him, uh, and I remember so well. So I was uh, completely crazy in the grandstand, and then we came back to watch uh, Senna, uh, which was maybe uh, beginning of nineties, uh, you know. So, and then we came back also to watch Barrichello in the grandstand in the same place. So, and, and it's, so, it's so amazing, you know, because you, you have an idea. And I remember so well, you know, the, the idea by being like a, a fan, you know, like uh, being there to, to support uh, the drivers, but also to see the Formula One. And it was like a dream, you know. And, uh, and then, I mean, we were also thinking uh, it would be a dream to be here racing for Formula One, you know. So then I uh, managed to be there, you know, racing for Formula One and also to be there racing for Ferrari and also to be there winning, you know, for, for Ferrari, uh, uh, you know, a couple of times, which was just an amazing situation. 
when did you, I mean, you know, we'll talk more about your sort of your early career in a bit, but when did you start thinking, hang on, I'm, I think I can actually make it to Formula One? Because you obviously, you had lots of success in karting and then, you know, did single seaters, which very quickly, you know, you won all the championships, you won Formula 3000. But I think long before then, you were getting calls from Formula One teams. Was there a moment when you thought, hang on, I, I can do this? Well, I think, uh, in the karting, not because I mean, karting is still you know far away, you know, compared to, to Formula One. So, it's still you're still doing your your learning, you know, um, career. Uh, but the biggest problem I always had it was uh, sponsor, you know. So, my father helped me in the karting, uh, for sure. Uh, uh, at the beginning, the, the not like uh, you know, spending money, but like uh, helping me there. But then on the um, um, end of my career in the karting, we didn't have like uh, uh, money anymore. So my father was helping me with a lot of, uh, uh, he was struggling, you know, to help me. And uh, so I was racing like with the chassis that somebody gave to me, you know, so engine that, uh, you know, you see drivers with like uh, five engines. I had maybe two, you know, so at the end it was, um, you know, surviving uh, situation, you know. So then when I moved to the Formula Chevrolet, which was like the Formula Opel in Europe, so it was the Formula Chevrolet in Brazil. So I moved to, I managed to, to race uh, for a team that uh, it was never uh, successful. You know, it was not winning uh, championships or races, you know, but uh, it was a team that they, they had a little bit of sponsor to help. Uh, and uh, also 98, I didn't have the money to do the whole championship. So I did only the second part of the championship which was like my first experience, you know. Uh, and also, sorry, just going back a little bit uh, before, in 97, I didn't have money to race uh, uh, in the cars uh, and I wanted to race. And my, father, and my father said, you know what? You can choose all your race um, in the karting one more year in the situation you, you have or you do uh, four tests in Formula Chevrolet. So you choose. And then I choose to do four tests in Formula Chevrolet and not race in the kart in 97. No? So then, 98, I was trying to race, but I couldn't do the first part of the championship. So I do only the second part of the championship when, you know, I, I got this team that uh, he was helping me. So, and then I finished fifth in the championship. Uh, and uh, the year after, 99, I, I, I did the whole championship and I won the championship. So the Brazilian championship. So then it was the time to go to Europe. Uh, so until this time, I was not really sure that, I mean, Formula One was uh, close, you know, I said, okay, maybe the chance starts to increase, you know, the, that, I mean, winning the championship, showing my performance in the, in the track, but I mean, you need to go to Europe, you know, so then I managed to go to, to Formula Renault. So I, and everybody was saying, you need to go to, to England, you know, uh, uh, you need to race in the UK. Otherwise it would be difficult to, you know, to show yourself, you know, to go to Formula One. And uh, I tried to, to, to speak, you know, with the teams in, the, in, in England, but it was too, uh, too expensive, you know, to race in the UK. So then I, I, we moved to Italy. So I was talking to teams there and I managed to find a team that they were good team, but not like a team that he was winning uh, everything. And uh, I had money to do six races of the Italian championship in the Formula Renault. And uh, they accept me that. And then also they were giving me two races of the European, which was in the uh, two races in the same place as the Italian. 
so then i mean i start uh you know i was doing pretty well in the in the practice you know like a record of the tracks you know and then we start the season and i was winning the first races and also the second race was italian european in the same place in monza and i won both so on that time i was kind of uh, you know winning both uh, you know fighting for both championships and at the end of the year i won both championships you know so i managed to stay a little bit more help money here money there and i managed to win both championships italian and european which is it was something that it never happens you know a driver winning both championships in the same year so after i won you know the the formula renault european italian championship then i was sure things was changing you know? so on that time i was maybe you know what maybe i think maybe i can have a chance to go to formula one because then it starts to to have many formula ones uh formula one teams behind me you know yeah. to sign like a young con- uh, young uh, uh uh contract you know for 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 the team yeah and at the at the end uh, on on that time when i won the the, the formula renault I said, okay, maybe now things is changing and maybe I can go to Formula One. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? That, you know, you were leading both championships without the money to actually finish the season. Nowadays, yeah. you know, if you spoke to young drivers, I just, you know, if any driver that's leading the championship, they wouldn't be in that situation. You know, the, the world yeah. is, is so different now. Um, you know, you, you did get quite an early call from, from Ferrari and you were introduced to Jean Todd. Um, this is yeah. sporting to when you're in Formula 3000. Um, he was quite sort of quite blunt on your on his sort of first conversation with you. Yeah. Well, actually, the story is is even a little bit longer than that because I had uh, Briatore uh, trying to get me, you know, as a young uh, driver, uh, and actually he was there on my last race in Valencia of the. Italian European Championship in Formula Renault because he was part of the Renault uh, uh, team, Formula One team, and he was Formula Renault. So he was there to sign the contract with me. Uh, and I have Toyota as well, so I did few Formula Three tests for Toyota uh, with Prema on that on that time that they, they made the deal with uh, Prema, and um, and I had also Pedro Paludinis, which he was he has a, a Prost team. Uh, on that moment, and he is also Brazilian, so he wanted to get me under the under contract, you know. So actually, I was I was going to the Formula Three Thousand team, and uh, and uh, all of these contract I, ha- I will, you know, they were signing to me, but I have to go to Formula Three, and I had a deal with the, the owner of the Formula Three Thousand team, Adriano Morini, and Adriano said, no, 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 I want you to race in Formula Three Thousand, not Formula Three. So actually, he made me say no to Briatore, to Pedro Paolo Diniz, <laughs> to Toyota. And I said, no, how can I say no? I mean, I signed even whatever, whatever contract, you know, with the people from Formula One, I, I signed. No, no, you need to trust me. You know, you, you, you need to say no, you cannot sign. All right, I said no, you know, uh, to all of them. And uh, I started to do some testing in Formula 3000 on his team. And he started to do really, really, really well. And uh, he managed to have a, a contact with somebody that he knew. Uh, and uh, this guy has an co- Italian uh, company, Lineotex, and they, he, managed, he sponsored Ferrari in the past. And, they, and this guy said, oh, I know Ferrari people. Maybe I can organize a meeting with Jean Todd. So then he organized a meeting with Jean Todd. Uh, with me. And, and he, I went there. I put my, like, my 
I, my tie and you know and I went to Ferrari to see uh, Jean Todd to have a meeting with him me and Adriano Morini and then it, it happens exactly what you said so uh, he said oh you know what actually I mean he made a uh, hundreds of uh, questions, you know, to me to understand about me or, and about my family, about everything. And he said, "You know what? Uh, we are not interesting, you know, to have you under the contract. I, I already heard about you, uh, about your name, uh, but for the moment we are not interesting. But uh, I will tell you one thing. So you do." The, the former 2000 championship. If you win the championship, you come back here and then we speak on the better way. So if you don't win, forget it. But if you win, you come back here and we speak. Okay. I said, okay, thank you. It was great to be there anyway. And then, you know, I did the whole championship and he asked uh, Morini, just, uh, he, he said, I want to know everything that he is doing this year all of the testing, racing, telemetry. So I want you to send everything to Ferrari and we will analyze him the whole, the whole year. For sure, this I didn't know. So, and, uh, and then I did the, the, the championship and Ferrari, you know, was analyzing everything that I was doing the whole season. And then at the end of the season, I won the championship. I came back to Ferrari and we signed the deal for eight years contract. Uh, and actually it was a secret. So I signed a, a, a contract with Ferrari for eight years as a young driver, which never happens before. Uh, but it was secret. I couldn't tell anybody, only for sure my family. And can imagine, I mean, a guy with 19 years old, you know, signing the contract with Ferrari and cannot say, uh, <laughs> cannot tell anybody. It was really uh, harsh with me, but it was just an amazing situation yeah. as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously you won those championships in Italy. You won the Formula 3000 championship, first time of asking. Your results and telemetry and everything spoke kind of for themselves. But do you think the kind of the Brazilian history with Formula One, with the likes of Senna, of Rubens, you know, PK, do you think that history helps some young Brazilian drivers at all? Because I'm, sh I'm sure in, in England, it, I think it does help as well. Um, yeah. but I don't know whether that's like that in Brazil. I think it's the same. For sure, it helps. I mean, definitely. I think, you know, Brazilian people, normally we, we are, uh, everybody likes Brazilian people as well. I mean, we have a kind of, uh, you know, a good way of uh, uh, being, uh, you know, to the people. And I think, you know, it's a country that, you know, even from outside, many people say, ah, you are Brazilian, ah, nice. People like Brazilian people anyway. But uh, I think, you know, it definitely helps. I mean, we had a great history in, in Formula One many championships with uh, Fittipaldi, Piquet, Senna. But also, on that time as well, I mean, every category, uh, uh, Formula 3, Formula whatever, you know, category on that time, it was a Brazilian uh, fighting for the championship and, and winning races, you know. So definitely Brazilian, uh, Brazil was really strong. And uh, I think the, hist the, the history of Brazilian people, uh, of Brazilian champions you know important drivers definitely helps like is like in england now but also uh, especially when you have a driver like uh, hamilton you know driving like uh, Nigel Mansell, but a driver like uh, you know michael schumacher for example i mean what he made uh, in germany you know he helps definitely a lot of drivers you know after you know everything that he was doing as well you know so i think that's definitely very important 
Yeah. And you mentioned there that you, you were only 19 when you, you know, when you signed this contract for Ferrari. What was going through your mind? Because Ferrari at that stage was just kind of in the beginning slash middle of its kind of utter dominance at the start of the turn of the century. Um, it, this for a 19 year old guy who'd come over from Brazil to Italy. This is this was literally the best outcome. You know, and to go to Fiorana, to go to Maranello must have been kind of slightly mind blowing for someone who'd only really had three or four seasons of, of car racing under their belt. Oh, I think, you know, every uh, young driver, you know, uh, that he goes to Maranello gets crazy because it's just amazing, you know, to go there and to see Ferrari. I remember, you know, when I was a kid and uh, Brazil is not a country that you see a lot of Ferraris in the road, you know. So, but I mean, I remember when I see a Ferrari in the road, it was like uh, amazing. I mean, I see a Ferrari car, so you do like a, a, a lot of pictures, you know. So it's like, a, you know, a proper dream, you know, like yeah, a very important, yeah. you know, it's, it's a very important thing. And then, I mean, you race all your career, you know, and you see also in television, you know, Ferrari, it was also the time that Ferrari was winning everything, you know. So when you see in the television, Ferrari is just amazing. They're winning everything. And then I go there, you know, and uh, I see, you know, uh, the Ferrari factory, you know, I see like the, I, I sit, you know, in the, in the office of the, the boss, you know, of Ferrari, you know, with all of the, the details, you know, in the wall, the little cars, you know, the history, you know, the pictures and the history, you know, going around the factory and see the people working. But it's just amazing. I mean, it's, it's difficult to explain the feeling, you know, that, uh, uh, a, a driver, you know, a young driver, a kid or whatever, you know, uh, f- uh, feel when you go to, to Maranello. And, you know, also is, is a very important point because in the, in, the, in the Fiorano circuit, you have a little house. And in these li- little houses where the, normally the driver stays, now you have even uh, rooms and, uh, for the drivers to stay there, to sleep there. It's like a little hotel. But is, is the house, you know, that... Uh, Enzo Ferrari had his uh, office, you know, there. And uh, when you're entering, you know, you see the office in the way they, they left the office like it was, you know, like it's like a, a very special, uh, you know, area that they kept like it was when he was there working, you know. So I see many people, you know, all my time with Ferrari already a racing driver, but I see many people entering that house and couldn't stop crying, you know. Many people like a proper fans, but even people with money, like a fans that, you know, they, they pay you to go to, to Fiorano to drive his old Ferrari or, or also to drive his Formula One Ferrari because they, 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 they allow the people to go there for sure, paying you know, to stay there and to see and to visit and everything else. And, and I see many people crying that couldn't stop crying because it's, it's so important, so special, you know. And you can imagine, you know, like when a young driver, you know, goes to the factory and see. All of that. It was just, I mean, I couldn't really uh, believe. And uh, I remember everything, you know, all the details. And it was just amazing. Did you, you, you know, you drove for Ferrari for so long. Did that ever wear off? You know, even in those kind of final few seasons, was it still special going to Maranello? Or was it, or did it by then it had become a bit more normal? It was always special. Definitely. Um, after you know, long, long time, especially me, I'm lucky uh, that uh, I raced for Ferrari eight years. You know, I was inside that factory for more than ten years. 
you know. So, and for me, for me, it was just a, a dream, you know. It was just fantastic feeling all the time that you're going to Maranello. Uh, not only the factory, because after a while you get used, you know, to working there. Uh, you're going there not only in the amazing moments, but you're going there in the difficult moments as well, you know, when maybe things is not uh, going so well in the season, or maybe you had a bad race or whatever. So you have uh, all, all the two different ways, you know, to celebrate, but also to work hard in the difficult time. So, but what is especially Maranello is that you go there, you have like a, a Montana restaurant, which is the restaurant very close to the factory that uh, it's very traditional, you know. Uh, so you always, I was always going there to have lunch or dinner uh, with uh, uh, Rossella and uh, Maurizio, which, you know, they, is their restaurant, you know. And uh, it's very family, you know. And then you have also the Cavallino restaurant. So you, you know, you, you create like, uh, uh, you know, your, your own things that maybe you're doing in your, in your house, in your town. You know, so I think this this is very special, you know, because you're there to work, but then you, you're going to have a, a lunch in the place that uh, you feel like uh, if you are at home, you know, uh, dinner as well. So you feel really part of the family, you know, and I think this is something that you 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 only have in Ferrari, you know, and and, and for me, this is something that is, is so special, you know, like you, 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 you get in there, but you, you really feel you part of the family and this. It's difficult to find in another team, you know, this type of uh, feeling, I would say. Because you obviously, you had your seasons for, you know, with, with Salva, um, which, which we can come and talk about. Did you, was there a noticeable difference when you became a full, because you obviously you were the reserve driver, you know, for a year. Um, yeah. But when you became a full-time Ferrari driver, did your experience in Italy change dramatically? Because we... We chatted to Ivan Capelli a, a few weeks ago, and he was saying that he drove up to sign his contract, stopped at a petrol station, no one knew who he was. He drove back, stopped at the same petrol station, and he was just surrounded by people. And he said it just happened like that. And did you, did you find kind of, you know, your, your relationship with Italians in Italy change after that? Uh, for sure. It's just amazing. I mean, uh, definitely when I signed for Ferrari, people kind of knew me, you know, because uh, I was already a Ferrari test driver. I was already a Formula One driver, so I was racing for Sauber anyway. Uh, so people kind of uh, knew me. But when I signed for Ferrari, it was just amazing. I mean, everywhere you go in Italy, everywhere you pass, like in the uh, uh, auto grill restaurant in the, in the highway, it's just amazing. I mean, people really look you and people really want to touch you because they, the Italian people, they, they need to touch you. They need to, uh, to ha- you know, hang you and they need even to kiss you, <laughs> you know, so they, they, they need to touch you. And, um, and it's just amazing. I mean, the feeling on that is just uh, fantastic. I mean, I, and I, I, I am also uh, Italian, you know, my family is Italian also uh, from the South of Italy. Uh, and uh, I speak Italian, so maybe better, maybe no, I speak better Italian than English, you know, so, and I think also that this is also a, a big help for the Italian fans, you know, for the Italian people, so uh, I, I, man- I went a couple of times to Cerignola in the south of Italy, which is like my, the place of my family, you know, in the past, and they received me like uh, 4,000 people in the, on the piazza, you know, 
uh, and it's just amazing, you know, the feeling that uh, you you feel, the feeling that you have by being Ferrari driver, uh, but also from the fans. And this is is just like a religion, you know. Ferrari is like a religion, and you 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 cannot find in another team. Even if you, I mean, you can win the championships, you can be famous, but that religion is impossible to to find in another team. There's, I mean, there is also there's the other side of it, isn't there? That I, you know, I've heard about from from some of the other Ferrari drivers in the series that, you know, it was it Ferrari exactly as you said is just this kind of mystical being in Italy, but with that with the sort of great support also comes great expectation, and if things aren't going well, there's you've got the Gazzetta dello Sport, uh, you know, the, the kind of the sports newspaper that's that does not hold back if something's not going right. I think also the Italians are obviously so passionate about Ferrari. If it's not going right, then the drivers are sometimes people they look towards. Did you have that? And how did you cope with that side of it? Yes. I mean, Ferrari, uh, I think in the good side, you know, uh, like we were talking before, it's just an amazing feeling by being a Ferrari driver. But in the professional side, you know, in the working side, in the racing side, in the media side, it's just... Uh, uh, you know, you have a lot of up and downs, you know, uh, even if you're winning or not winning, you know, uh, you know, sometimes every day is like uh, uh, the expectation is so high from the media, uh, from all of this uh, newspaper, like Gazeta de los Sport, uh, but also um, all of them, you know, so we, every day uh, is, a, is a big expectation. So, and the, the biggest problem actually for Ferrari is that because, um, you know, so many moments, I mean, we found the direction to go. I mean, we start to improve things and then maybe one bad race uh, or maybe one really bad situation, it can change the, the direction of the working, you know. And, and, and I remember so well, so it was so difficult to keep Montezemolo relaxed, you know. Uh, and, and actually, I mean, to be honest, the only way to keep him relaxed it was with the result. But, you know, the best um, manager uh, to keep Montezemolo relaxed, especially after he had some results, because even before it was so difficult, it was Jean Todd. Jean Todd was the only one that he could manage to keep Montezemolo relaxed, uh, even in the difficult situation, even, if, even with the difficult results. So he, he managed to find a way by, you know, pushing the team on the working the right time. So after that, you know, with the, you know, difficult years, Ferrari not winning for a long time, which is actually the situation now, is, uh, uh, is tricky. And I think maybe the media sometimes can uh, put the team, you know, going to the wrong side. And, and, and for me, this is the, uh, it, it was always a difficult situation to, uh, to manage, you know, in Ferrari. And is it still, is it still like that for the moment? Now, if you're looking for more Ferrari content, then you may well be interested in Motorsport's latest publication. Ferrari, from race to road, celebrates the journey of the world's most famous car brand and its unique place in motor racing history. Using Motorsport's unmatched archive of stories and photographs, we trace the Ferrari story from its early days under Enzo, right up to date with interviews with current F1 star Charles Leclerc and F1 team boss Mattia Binotto. Along the way, we celebrate some of the all-time classic race cars, including the wonderful 1975 312T and races such as the Targa Florio. 
Plus, we test some of the greatest Ferrari road cars. Illustrated with world-class photographs and wonderful writing, Ferrari from race to road is a must-have for all fans of the mark. It's on sale now in all good news agents, or you can buy it via the Motorsport website, which is motorsportmagazine.com. And so do you think, I mean, obviously there was there were lots of things to kind of Michael Schumacher, Rubens and, and Ferrari's success in the early 2000s, notably, you know, the Schumacher-Braun-Todd axis. But I guess obviously the Todd's, Jean being able to just relax Luca de Montezemolo and, and keep him away was probably a large part of, of that success. Yeah. yeah, because I mean, if you, if you see uh, Michael signed with Ferrari 96, if I'm not wrong, no? Uh, and uh, he had a very difficult time, 97, 98, 99. So it was not easy. So, and I'm, I'm sure in this, you know, uh, three, four years, uh, they had a massive problems, you know, inside. Even the problems to maybe uh, fire Jean-Todd, you know? So, and I think they managed to keep the difficult situation and, and to get the right people around the team and to, to get the people that he was able to, to build the right car, you know? But before that, even with uh, Jean-Todd, even with Michael, uh, it was not easy, you know? So, so that's why I think they managed with the result, but they managed, you know, with the with the code mentality to keep Montezemolo in the right range, you know? So then after that, for sure, they create the massive team and they they win many years of the championships. Uh, But we also won, you know, after after that, like uh, 2007, 2008, it was also the last uh, years that uh, Ferrari won the championships. And and I think it it was still different teams, you know, different people working, but it was still... A, a good help from that time, you know. So, uh, but then I mean, for sure, with so many years, you know, uh, with not winning, I mean, with without the result, you know, the people expecting, you know, things start to change, and uh, and the media starts to push really hard as well. You know? Yeah, the, when you arrived for your sort of, I suppose that that year of being a third driver, I know you had signed for Ferrari, you know, before then as a as a young driver. You were the third driver to, to Michael and Rubens. Um, you'd done a season with Sauber. That must have been a huge learning curve that year to, to work with Michael and Rubens and that kind of what I referred to it as a super team. You know, it was yeah. it was the pinnacle. And it must have been quite different going from Sauber to then being kind of in, enveloped in Ferrari. It must have been quite quite an experience. Uh, it, was a, it was a massive change for me, even if I did the... Uh, the year with the sub and actually I mean I scored many points uh, with Sauber on that year and I mean don't forget that on that year the points was like top six so it was so difficult to score points you know uh, on my first year you know in Formula 1 and uh, I did many seven uh, places as well uh, result you know I, I finished seventh many times uh, eight which now is uh, points you know uh, important points as well uh, but for sure, I was crashing a little bit too much. You know, I was a little bit wild. You know, I was, you know, missing a bit of experience. And then uh, Peter Sauber decided to, uh, to to change for like an experienced driver like uh, uh, Frentzen. Uh, and I had the chance to to be one year as a test driver in Ferrari. And that year was a massive change for me. So I managed to learn a lot. And I managed to drive every week I was driving, I was testing. And, uh, and I was going to all of the race. I was... Uh, participating to all of the meetings, you know, with Michael, with Rubens, 
Uh, and definitely that year was a big help for my career. You know, it just uh, helped me a lot on my experience to know what to say, to know how to work with the team. Uh, and I think after that, I went back to Sauber and it was completely different. It was, you know, uh, definitely a, a big step forward to be one year test driver of Ferrari. Yeah. Did you, how was your first test with Cyber? Was that, because obviously you'd done a season of Formula 3000, but was that quite a big leap? Because, you, you know, you do hear even from GP2 to Formula 1 nowadays, there's yeah. still that big jump. Um, did you find that when you first, because of V10 Cyber, it would have been quite something to drive? Yeah, for sure. It was a massive jump. Uh, definitely even bigger than uh, what is Formula 2 now to Formula 1. I think it's much closer than how it was at that time. So it was a massive jump. Uh, my first testing Saba was end of 2001 in the Mugello, which was definitely a very, very difficult, physically, a very difficult track. So, uh, but I remember, I mean, it was so good. I was really competitive. I was really quick. Uh, and actually, I managed to do the best lap time uh, what Saba had in, in Mugello on my first two days of uh, testing. Uh, and... Um, uh, and I, for sure, I had some mistakes, you know, I spun a few times, but I showed that, I mean, I have the capacity, you know, uh, to, to be in Formula 1, you know, I had the talent to be in Formula 1. And I remember, so it was just an amazing feeling and I was so, it was so difficult physically for me. So I remember on the first day I did 50 laps and I couldn't really turn to the side, you know, for, for my neck. So it was so, and to, to drive the day after, it was just, so difficult, you know, to do the first few laps. For sure, after you know, I warm up a bit. It was a, it was a bit better, but at the beginning, it was so, so tough. But and I managed to really to show what I was able to do. Mm. Now we've got we've got some readers' questions. Um, there's uh, Bruno wrote in asking about the departure of, of Ross and and Jean Todd. So we've got, we've sort of answered that one. Um, there's one here from Ben Johnson. There's quite a sort of open question, but I, it's. I think it's quite nice because you sort of touched on some of the negative side of being a Ferrari driver. And he's asking, what are the internal politics at Ferrari actually like? Um, everyone always seems to talk about the, the team politics in, at Ferrari. You've obviously raced for other teams. You race with Saab, you race with Williams. Is it worse than other teams? Or is that just really a bit of a myth that, that gets spun out? I think it's, uh, especially on that time, I mean, on that time we had the... Uh... Marco Schumacher, that I mean, he won many seasons for Ferrari, so he had the team on his pocket. Uh, so uh, definitely, I mean, they they it was a team that I mean, they we are here to win, and we are here to support, uh, you know, the driver that we really needs to support. So which on that time was Schumacher, you know, and uh, and definitely Michael deserved it because I mean, he, he was just an amazing driver, you know, uh, he was just a driver that he was you know, capable to win, capable to, you know, put the team on his back. Uh, but, I mean, the political, is, it, it was always part of the team. It was always part of the, the mentality, you know, of the team, especially with Michael. It was so difficult, you know, it was impossible to, uh, to fight against the political. But with Kimi, I think it, the, the team was completely open, you know, for both drivers, you know, and, he, you know, even 2007, I mean, we had the, uh, a deal that uh, until Spa uh, race, you know, you're free to fight. After Spa, we decide who will be the the number one driver. 
Uh, and I, actually, the race before Spa was Monza was in front in the championship of Kimi. Uh, and uh, I was also in front of him in the, in the race. I was going to finish second or third, and Kimi uh, was fourth. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, I had to retire on that race. And, uh, and uh, for sure, I, we went to Spa already. I was like two points behind Kimi. Uh, in the championship, I supposed to be like maybe eight points in front of him, you know. Uh, so at the end, uh, I was a bit unlucky, you know, with that situation. But um, also 2008, the team was completely, you know, uh, open, you know, for both drivers. And, and that year I fight for the championship. Uh, but then after with Alonso, things change a little bit, you know. So the, the politics starts to go back, like, for example, how it was when Michael was there, you know, and uh, it was so difficult to fight against the political. It was so difficult to fight against what the team, you know, already put in the paper even before the championship start. So this is, it was always a part of uh, Ferrari and uh, for sure now, I mean, it's so difficult for me to say exa is exactly like that or not because I'm not working for the team, but um, I think it was always part of the mentality of the team to have like a political uh, strong political inside the mentality of the thing. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I suppose, you know, your relationship with Alonso kind of it came to a head really uh, in the press anyway to Hockenheim in 2010. But do you, what, I mean, what, was there a number one and number two driver when you and Fernando were, were driving together or was it the same deal whereas whoever's ahead at a certain point of the season would then be supported? Oh, it, was the, it was the same deal I had uh, with uh, Michael. It was the same deal I had with Kimi and it was the same deal I had with Fernando. Because, but, I mean, even if he is not, you, you don't see in the contract written, you are number two drivers, you know, but you have some close in the contract that I mean, you need to to like uh, do what the team, you know, uh, uh, want. Like I mean, you need to follow. Yeah, you know, it covers the, everything. Yeah, you know, you need to follow the instructions of the team, and the instructions of the team, you know, can mean means many things, you know, inside. So at the end, you know, you, you are not number two driver, but if they if the team is saying, I mean, the instruction is to do this or to do that, you need to follow. This is inside the contract. For even is is inside the contract for Michael Schumacher, and is inside the contract for Fernando Alonso as well. But definitely, the instruction is to favor them. You know. Yeah. 
It's it's interesting because I mean, that Hungary was you know it was early in the season really. Um, how as a driver do you come back from being told you know Fernando's that famous radio call from Rob you know Fernando's faster than you? How do you come back from that? Um, because it's it's obviously a very difficult thing when you as you said just then both of you have the same clause but you are you suddenly yeah. know for certain that the team is just behind this other driver. It must be such a difficult thing to go on and, and you know, carry on winning after that. Oh, it is. For sure it is. I, mean, it's, it's, I think for the mentality, you know, uh, of the driver, you know, uh, for your, the, the strongness, you know, uh, that you need to have in your mind. Uh, confidence, especially. I mean, for the confidence of the driver is so tough because, I mean, you just put you in the, on the side. You feel that you are, you know, the team is putting you on the side. The team needs you anyway, you know, uh, because uh, your points is so important for the team. And the Ferrari teams is looking massively for the construction championship, you know, massively. So even compared to many other teams, I think Ferrari is the team that they, they really, the construction championship is really important for them, you know. Mm. Uh, so, but... Uh, you feel, you know, after this type of uh, situation, I mean, race that it happens, that I mean, the, the, the team is asking you to to let them by. Uh, this uh, is really, you know, bad for the uh, confidence of the driver. Yeah, so. it was. I, I, I'm pretty sure it was Rubens who was once asked, you know, why do you not go and be a number one at another team, you know, rather than being number two at Ferrari. And he said, well, I'm better being number two here than number one anywhere else for my results. Yeah. And I suppose that's, you, sure. know, that, you know, that's, that's a, something you think about as well. But I think if you have a competitive car and if you are in the competitive team, so you know that, I mean, uh, you can have a better result there than the, what you can have uh, in another team. Depends on which team you are talking, you know, yeah. as well. You know, so maybe... Uh, if you are in the top team and, uh, you know, another team that is fighting for the fifth position in the construction championship, Ford uh, wants to have you, you know, that, I mean, the, you, you, you go back, you know. So definitely is, uh, it's true, you know. So at the end, you, you're looking for being on the best team. For sure, you know, uh, you can struggle a little bit, but uh, you, you're looking for being in the best team and you, are, you can be better than than. Uh, being in another team that you, you won't be able to to win the championship or to win even races, you know? Yeah. Now, I, I want us to look back at 2008 into Lagos, that amazing weekend you had, pole position, fastest lap, race win. You did absolutely everything you could that weekend to win the world championship. You're on home soil and everyone knows the story that you had the championship for a few seconds and then Lewis got past Timo Glock at the, at the, coming out of the final corner. Um what I mean, just tell me a little bit about kind of what was going through your head because I'm sure you quadrupled the Felipe Massa fan base that week weekend with just the kind of the dignity that you had on the podium after such what can only be described as the sport's greatest roller coaster ride. Well, on that uh, race, I think uh, everything just working perfectly, you know. So I was so strong mentally uh, at home, on my track, on my place. So I could feel really the, the strongness of the, the Brazilian fans. So I could feel uh, that uh, what I want, the team wants as well. Uh, so I think, you know, the, the, all of the practice, qualifying, race, every lap I did on that weekend, 
uh, it was just, uh, you know, under control. And um, so I was so strong, you know, to fight for that, that championship, you know, and uh, mentally uh, with everybody together with me. So it was just, uh, you know, that uh, for how, how I am here, you know, I will not lose the race. So I will win the race for sure, because everything is really just perfectly in the whatever condition, uh, dry, wet, whatever, doesn't matter, you know. So everything was just uh, perfect, you know. Everything was just, you know, set uh, for me to win that race uh, for the team as well. So, and it's unbelievable how, you know, how strong I was on the start, how strong I was in the grid and how I managed to put, you know, the the Brazilian force inside me, you know. So, and, uh, but I mean, for sure things uh, uh, didn't work in the perfect way, not because of me or not because of the team on that race uh, for whatever thing that it happens before uh, that race that is so many, so many things happens on that season, uh, you know, on, unfortunately for me to lose uh, points, you know, and, uh, uh, but uh, it was just a, that weekend, it was just amazing feeling and, uh, you know, amazing uh, uh, strongness I have inside my inside me, you know. Do you, do you subscribe to Nigel Mansell's philosophy that you're, you know, a second a lap faster or half a second a lap faster at your home Grand Prix? Because you've always gone so yeah. well into Lagos. Do you believe that? I believe that, for sure. I definitely mm. believe that. And I believe that uh, uh, it's unbelievable when you fight uh, in, in your home, you know, uh, in your place, uh, you are strong you stronger, yeah. you know, because uh, I, I think, you know, it happens the same in the football, you know, it happens the same in so many different uh, sports. When you play home, you play better, you know, and it's difficult to explain why, because, I mean, you try everything in the best way, even in the places that is not your, it's away, a you know, uh, from your home. Yeah. But, I mean, wh when you are at home, you know, for whatever situation, for whatever reason, things is really better. I do, when I was... Uh working at Goodwoods, I interviewed Martin Johnson, the 2003 England Rugby World Captain, Rugby World Cup Captain, and I asked him exactly the same question, you know, why is it that rugby teams usually win at home? Um, and he said there was a scientific study and it was all down to testosterone. <laughs> so, really? <laughs> yeah, maybe it's that. <laughs> maybe it's that. Um, maybe it's that. So, yeah. So, there was, I wanted to quickly talk about Monaco. Because you you didn't like Monaco, but then I think it was in two thousand and eight. You 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 put it on poll there, and I think when you walked into the press conference, you were sort of as surprised as everyone. But you did have a kind of sit down with Rob, and we did a podcast with Rob a, a few months ago now. But he told the story of him basically trying to persuade you to break at a certain point. What what was it that you talked about uh, to to kind of get you on on poll that year? Well, for sure, I was going to say that. I mean, that maybe Rob explained you the. The, the Monaco, you know, uh, history. Actually, I, know, I don't know why, but I was never competitive in Monaco. You know, I was uh, maybe driving a different way uh, on that track. Not only related to braking. I mean, I was never bad on the braking point, but uh, related to how to drive in the city track, how to anticipate the corners, which in you know, a city track normally always have a little bit of understeer uh, car, you know. Uh, so you always need to anticipate the corners. And you always need to understand how to set up the car in the right way. So I was always struggling there. 
even I mean, 2007, I was on the podium there, but not a good race anyway, not a good weekend I, ha I, I had for myself, you know, even by being in the podium. So, and uh, in 2008, I mean, together with uh, Rob, we were discussing so much, I mean, how we, we will, you know, get the right car, how we will set up the car in the right way. Uh, and uh, Rob has some good ideas, you know, like maybe to do a very, very aggressive car uh in, in the front you know like a very oversteer car you can you can even say that but i mean very a very soft front uh completely different than than how i was using before that in monaco you know and uh for sure I me mean, the first laps it was a little bit strange for me but then I, i managed to to keep understanding you know the track was improving i was really improving i was getting uh, competitive i was getting good lap times in the practice and then um Suddenly, I was so strong in the qualifying. You know, I, I was really, I did like a lap that uh, uh, I don't know how I did that lap. Even the Senna, you know, sometimes he was even saying, I mean, I, I, I did a lap that maybe I was not driving and uh, God was driving. So he said many times in Monaco, you know, and I, and, I, and I feel the similar situation that, I mean, everything was just amazing, perfectly, you know. And, uh, And on that weekend, I was so strong in Monaco and uh, I was so unlucky in the race that, I mean, it was the race was raining massively. And uh, also Lewis had the accident. He hit the wall and he went to the pit stop much before he's supposed to go. And with the safety car, you know, he just put me from the back to the, to the front, you know. Uh, and, uh, and I was so unlucky because of all the situations in the rain, you know. Uh, so I, anyway, I was going to finish second and my team made the, mistake in the pit stop so I lost even the position to Kubica so I finished third uh, but uh, definitely together with Rob we just uh, invented something you know that he was I was now never using and uh, we understood how to to use and I understood how to drive in Monaco on that year uh, so because of a lot of working uh, together with uh, Rob and Giuliano Salvi which was also the my telemetry guy So anyway, we did a good job and uh, definitely I learned how to drive in Monaco from that time. <laughs> but it, it, I mean, obviously it was, it's a different, it was a different track, but you were on the podium there in Formula E. Did you, you, must yeah. have had a small, you must have had a small smile to yourself as, you know, when you're off on the podium. Sure. <laughs> yeah. For sure, the, the, the experience helps me, you know, a lot. Even yeah. for the championship, even if I go to race there in the... Touring car, you know, now maybe I, <laughs> I, I, I will be competitive for sure. <laughs> now, as just before, I mean, we're, we are coming to the end, so, but I really want to talk to you about Hungary 2009 and, and, and after that. Um, just for everyone watching and listening, if you love these podcasts, don't forget you can subscribe to them on the website and you can also subscribe to the, the YouTube channel where all these podcasts are. You can watch all the videos and the rest of the Driving for Ferrari series. So do head over there. There's loads of podcasts. So if you're enjoying this, then, then please sign up. Um, just to go back to Hungary 2009, I don't want to end on this but because it's, sort of, it's such a difficult time. I'll end on a happy note. But it was, it was, I just want to know, I suppose, first of all, what you actually remember of it because it was such a kind of catastrophic brain injury. I think I, I, think I remember you saying I, 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 nothing. You, is, is that right? You just don't remember anything? Yeah. Actually, that, that, that's totally right. And it's difficult to explain, you know, why. I mean, because I, I, I sometimes I even think, I mean, I, 
why I don't remember. I mean, I supposed to remember, you know. So and uh, I don't remember. What I remember actually is the is that we were in the qualifying lap, and uh, I was doing my lap time on the qualifying, and that I remember. And I arrive in the last sector, and I catch Rubens. Rubens was preparing his lap, so he was in his outlap. So I catch Rubens in the last sector, and he also disturbed me. So he didn't let me by in the last two corners. He didn't let me by, and uh, I lost uh, maybe four tenths, you know, three four tenths uh, behind him. And I was so disappointed, you know, because these three four tenths could could have put me, uh, you know, uh, not passing to Q3. You know, so and I was I finished my lap just completely, you know, uh, on on Rubens' toe, uh, and Rubens was starting his lap. So I, then I back off a little bit. I was going a little bit slower, so he was opening a bit the gap because he was doing his lap time, and he has hit the the fail in his car. So then I don't remember anything anymore. So I, but I just remember that Rubens disturbed me in the last sector. After that, I don't remember anything anymore, and then. Uh, only when I was in the in the hospital, but not when I wake up, not after I was in coma, not in the, the beginning. I, I remember like more in the last days I was yeah. in the hospital, not at the beginning. It's interesting because Sterling Moss, when he had his you know his career-ending crash in 1962 at Goodwoods, always said the same thing about that weekend. He's, he has no memory of it at all. Yeah. Um, do you think that not having that memory? Helped you get back in the simulator, get back in the Ferrari for you know for the test at the end of that year, and come back racing the following year. Did did that help that you couldn't remember it? I think so. I think it helps. It's better not to remember, you know. So a situation like that, I mean, like a big accident, you know, it's something that you really suffer or you know you really uh, in the difficult time. It's better not to remember, you know. So especially when you when you work uh, in the in the the job that you have a lot of risks, you know? So at the end, uh, yeah, I think it's positive. I mean, I think the human being sometimes uh, is just amazing, you know, how things happen and uh, is, is definitely for for your mind, is better definitely yeah. not to remember. Were you, were you a different driver at all when you came back? Uh, not on driving, actually. Not on the, everything I was doing before driving, all the, you know, ticks that I have on driving, so I still had after the accident. Um, uh, but even many people say, I mean, you never won anymore the your accident, you know. So for sure, maybe the accident changed you in something. This I cannot say. This I really cannot say because I mean, I never found anything different. If something's changed inside completely, I don't know. But you know, and I was never afraid of driving. I was never afraid of doing things after like you know, different than I was before, you know. Yeah. Uh, but but uh, what I can say is that um, it changed me on my life. So I respect uh, my life, but I think the life of the people uh, in the much better way compared to I was respecting before. You know, so if this changed something on driving, I don't know. But I mean, for sure, I respect much more uh, our life, the life of the people as well, you know. So this is something that, I mean, I look to to that in the much more, you know, I respect more our life compared to uh, what I was doing before, uh, uh, which is, this is something that it changed. 
Yeah. Because you never, you never expect that I mean, a big accident will happen to you. Even if it happens to others, oh, somebody has an accident, but you never expect to, to feel that, you know? And I think when you feel that, you really, you know, respect more, yeah. to be honest, you, you know? Yeah, you have a sense of your mortality, I, I suppose. Yes, yeah. yes. So just, just to finish, um, you've had, you know, such a stellar career, Grand Prix victories, your early career in karting with your father and the single-seaters in, in Italy, Formula 3000, more recently Formula E. Is there a period that you look back on most fondly? Is it walking into Ferrari for the first time or winning the first Grand Prix? Or, you know, what, what is it that, you know, if you're feeling a bit down, you think back to that moment, you're like, yeah, that was, that was pretty amazing. I think it was so many, so many incredible times that I have, you know, in my career, uh, you know, for sure. It's so easy, you know, to say, to put Formula One on that. It's so easy to say, okay, my first victory in Brazil was the most incredible feeling that I never expect to have, you know. Uh, but I mean, going back, I mean, yeah, I had many incredible uh, moments, feeling, you know, like uh, I never thought that, you know, I was going to have that, you know, even before Formula One, when I was, I didn't have the money to race. And then, oh, I win, or oh, I win, and I go there and I win like in the massive time. Um, uh, and I, you know, when I won uh, the Italian European Championship in Formula Renault in Valencia, I think, you know, on that weekend, I was feeling exactly the same as my weekend in Interlagos 2008. And it was unbelievable how strong I was and, you know, how I managed, you know, like to put everything together, uh, putting the perfect way, so strong, so, you know, uh, aggressive as well in the important times. So at the end, uh, yeah. That that time was also very important for me, uh, but also many uh, incredible races I had in Formula One. Uh, the first victory, but also my the first time I won in, in Interlagos, uh, the first pole, uh, but also other races like you know victories I had in Bahrain. Um, yeah, it was just I mean you know I have so many incredible moments. Even in Williams, you know uh, my race in Abu Dhabi that I finished second, fighting for the fighting even for the victory, you know. You have so many points that, uh, you know, it was just uh, uh, well remembered. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. There's so much we haven't talked about, but there is so much that we have covered. Um, Felipe, thank you so much. It's been absolutely fascinating. It's so kind of you to join us all the way from Brazil and spare a whole hour of your time. Um, it's very, very kind. So thank you from all the readers and listeners and, and viewers. It's been brilliant. No, thank you, Ed. And thank you, everybody that, I mean, is, uh, uh, will, will be listen some uh, nice stories from Ferrari and it's always a great great pleasure for me to speak about Ferrari but also my time uh, you know during long years in my career <laughs> listen we will see you all soon or we'll you'll hear us all soon uh, with another series at the start of next year I hope you've enjoyed the series it's been absolutely fantastic for me obviously yeah um, but thank you for listening thank you for watching thank you very much we'll see you all soon bye-bye
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.